Well, welcome again, Hills Church. Um, you know, this morning it is my privilege to be able to bring, with, bring to you the message this morning that God has placed on my heart. And um, if you're a, a, a guest with us or someone who doesn't regularly attend Hills Church, um, just letting you know we're in the middle of a series called The Story. And uh, it comes from a book called The Story, <laughs> which is an abridged version of the Bible um, where there is large sections of scripture put together in some sort of chronological order in order for us to read and see this huge arc of a story that has happened all the way from Genesis to Revelation and that we're a part of that story, that redemption story. Um, it's a reading plan that we've been going through. But the good news is you're not going to miss out this morning. You'll be able to follow along even though you haven't um, been following from the start but what I am going to do is give you a really quick recap. And as we've been going along, the recaps have been getting a little bit um, smaller and smaller because there's just so much that happens, you know, um, that has happened. But here's a short recap. So we began in Genesis chapter 1, um, where God created all things. He brought order. He created the oceans, the land, night, day, um, vegetation, and humanity. And all was good. And God dwelt in amongst that. He would walk with creation, um, with, with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. It was a beautiful place. And the relationship between God and humanity was perfect. There was no hidden thing. It was completely open and honest. And God said to, human, uh, to Adam and Eve that you can eat from all trees except for the knowledge of good and evil. And... The thing is, though, and this is kind of a side note to my sermon, is that God didn't say that he wouldn't teach them about good and evil. He just said, do you trust me enough not to take it in your own terms, but to trust that I will teach you about this? And we know that Adam and Eve chose to take it onto their own hands and trust their own ability rather than trusting God. And that meant that that relationship that was so open and there were no hidden things all of a sudden was fractured. And sin entered the world. And they were banished from the garden. And that's where God's redemption plan was kicked into place. To bring that relationship back to reconciliation. And so a lot happens. And we see you know, God choose a nation of Israel. And to teach them what it means to walk with their God. And to bless all nations. And we see the struggle between them coming to God and worshipping Him. And then going their own way. And then coming back and going their own way. And all through it we see the patience of God. And his loving tenderness towards them when they return. God has been seeking them from the beginning and he seeks us today as well. We got to the New Testament and um, Pastor Mark has been sharing in that. We, we heard about the birth of Jesus, but here's the thing. It wasn't the birth of Jesus, it was the incarnation of Jesus. In other words, it wasn't the origin story. It was the story of God coming into creation in flesh. Jesus has always been always will be. And I think that was an amazing point that I took away from that. Last week, we heard about Jesus' ministry beginning and all that entailed with that. And this week, we come to chapter 24 in the story. And uh, this week's title is No Ordinary Man. That is this chapter. And it's a bit of a spoiler alert, to be honest, because this whole chapter is, is choreographed in order for us to start asking that question, who is this man, Jesus? Because he's making some pretty big claims. That's what this week has been about. Who is this man? 
And ultimately, we come to the conclusion that he is no ordinary man. He is far more than that. And so, before we get stuck into it, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this journey that we've been on so far. God, I thank you for your word that is alive and powerful and has the power to transform our hearts and lives. God, I pray as we open your word this morning that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. In your precious name, amen. Well, church, as a side note, just something we often enjoy is a well-crafted speech, right? If someone, do we? Do we enjoy speeches? Oh, do we? Oh, fantastic. (laughs) Maybe not speeches, but we place a high value on clear communication. You know, we like communication that is straightforward and communicated clearly. We appreciate speech that is transparent, in which the meaning is immediately apparent to the listeners. A good communicator makes it easy for those that are listening to follow from start to end what they're trying to say, what their argument is, what their point is. And we also really appreciate it when they take the time to craft it in a way that is relevant to us or has um, something to do with our interests. Clear communication is something we put a value on. Marketers spend millions each year doing this, you know, producing products and taglines that communicate well, that communicate their message and draw our attention. And to prove this point, being a youth and young adults pastor, I've got a quick game, quick rapid-fire game we're going to play. Are you guys up for that? It's going to be good. Okay, so this game is called Brandless Brands. Brandless Brands. Fantastic. So the way this game is going to work, if we go to the next slide, is that I'm going to have some brands and logos that don't have any uh, uh, icons or words in them, any lettering. And so you'll have to identify it correctly to figure out what the brand is. Clear as mud? Okay. Let's go to the first one. What do we think this brand is? You can call it out. Netflix? No. Dimmix? Oh, wow. Haven't heard of that in a while. So what's it? I heard Marvel. It is Marvel. Let's go. Marvel Studios. Ah, that was the easy one. Okay. Second and final one, if we chuck it up there. Wow. Google? No? Think about the colors. White. Apple. It is Apple. Let's go to the next one. There we go. Apple. Well done. That's youth group in 30 seconds. So these brands work well because even without everything in it, we clearly know what they're trying to say. They're saying, we're Marvel, we're Apple, you know, and often they have taglines that go along with it. Clear communication is something we value. And with Jesus, and in this chapter, we see an interesting dichotomy between Jesus' message, which is very simply, simple and plainly spoken, and yet... It's not always obvious to those that are listening. In fact, the more time we devote to reading Scripture and hearing from God in that way, the more amazed you become at the depth and the nuance in his stories. In this chapter, we see a lot of his um, parables. And the parables he used were common stories, often of agricultural things because that's what people understood, stories that were commonplace to represent a certain truth. These were these parables that were plain, plainly spoken, and yet not always obvious to everyone who was listening. 
You see, Jesus did not craft messages for the one-eared casual listener. You know, the kind of people who are listening with one ear to what you're saying, and with the other ear, they're kind of listening to their own internal script or what they want to hear. Jesus didn't preach for those kind of people or teach about that. Instead, he preached these kind of lean forward sermons. You know, you've got to lean forward and listen in with both ears to hear what he has to say. And what this did was it sifted out those who were listening with just a passing interest of Jesus' message. This was often the Pharisees and religious leaders who were doing that. They were listening with one ear whilst listening to their own story with the other. They lacked an interest in the truth or the heart of humility needed to listen and learn, and they often missed the point of, this, of his messages. But those who took the time to listen and ask questions, by the way, it wasn't about blindly listening to him, but they were intently seeking to understand what it is that Jesus was trying to say. They discovered that the teachings of Jesus were unlike any other they had ever heard before because it had power and authority and it changed things for the better. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, it speaks of this. It says, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day had come, he went into the synagogue and began teaching. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. They were amazed at his teaching. Now, I'm not saying that his message is hard to understand when we read um, what Jesus had to say. His message isn't hard to understand, not at all. Instead, what I am saying is that if we want to hear his message, we need to listen with two ears. And that's my first point this morning. We need to listen with two ears. And what I mean by that is what I was saying before. When we come to Scripture or, um, and we read, we need to read it for what it is. We need to seek out what it is Jesus is trying to say to us rather than bringing our own agenda to it. I'm guilty of it. I know there have been times where I've been going through rough situations or I don't know what to do or someone needs to have a word, right? And so I, I go through Scripture and I'm trying to find a passage that speaks into it. I'm going, God, I just need to know about this. Where is it? But instead, I'm missing what Jesus might be saying to me in that moment by simply reading and receiving what it has to say. Same goes in prayer. There have been many a times where I've gone into prayer wanting to hear a certain thing from God because that will confirm what I need, what I want, or what I think I need. But we need to listen with two ears. You know, it's not, it's not like we discount you know, our understanding or asking questions. That's not it. It's, it's more about receiving what God has to say first and foremost. And that has power, and we will understand Jesus, when he shares about the parable of this, um, the farmer who sows the seeds, you know, he talks about a farmer who sows generously, and some seed falls on the path where it um, doesn't have a chance to grow. Some seed fall on rocks where it grows for a little bit, but doesn't have the deep roots. Some fall on soil, but there's thorns, and so when it grows up, it gets choked out, and yet some seed find fertile soil where the roots can grow deep and the plant grows strong. You know, this is the kind of listening we want to do, that listening without distraction. But he also puts forth a promise, which actually was, stood out to me maybe for the first time um, when I was reading it, is directly after it, he produces a promise 
And this is what it says in Mark 4, verse 9. Jesus says, Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. In other words, if you have ears to listen, if you are truly listening, you will understand. Jesus doesn't keep his um, message of salvation hidden from you. No, quite the opposite. He makes it quite plain in order for you to hear it. We just need to listen with two ears and receive that. As we go on in the chapter this week, um, we move on to Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 7. And this is um, where Jesus starts talking about life in the kingdom. Okay, This is something he spoke about quite frequently. What does it mean to live as citizens of heaven? Right? What does that mean? And it's, it comes apparent that Jesus did not come to simply give us a simple set of rules to live by. He didn't come to say, do A, do B, don't do C. What comes after C? D, do D. He didn't come for that. In fact, his impatience with the religious leaders of his day was that they believed that following an elaborate system of rules would make them right with God, rather than seeking to follow God's commands with a sincere heart. God didn't come to just give us a set of rules. In fact, he came to get at the heart of it. As we read the Sermon on the Mount, one thing is obvious. Jesus was more concerned about the heart behind the actions rather than the actions in of themselves. He's like, what is happening underneath? In some respects, Jesus' message was simpler, more, more simple. <laughs> but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a bit weighty. Let me read just two of them for you. Matthew chapter 5, 21 to 22, it says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say... If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Jesus is making a point. And I think that murder just seems so far out there, right? But he's saying if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to to judgment. Now, let me put this in context because anger is an emotion. And sometimes it'll come out, it doesn't mean we're sinning, right? Just because we feel passionately about something. What I'm talking about is when someone has done you wrong... And you go, you know what, I know the right thing is not to act out on that. But you sit in that, and you seethe, and you burn, right? And every time you see them do something, you go, there it is again, I knew it. And we don't let go of it. We're angry at them for what they've done. We We don't forgive them. We don't let them go. We don't let it go, that's what I meant to say. That is something that I can relate to. You know, that is that not committing murder, but the heart. Where's the sincerity of that? That's what Jesus is getting to. Don't worry, there's hope coming. One more I want to read, though. Matthew chapter 5, again, 27, 28. You have heard the command that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart. Again, Jesus is getting to the intent behind it. Rather than just drawing a line at action, he goes, it's about your heart. It's about sincerity. And so when we step back and we see this, we start to ask the question, can anyone live up to this? You know, the message of the kingdom was so perfect, so pure, so high, and so holy, 
that actually no one can consistently live this out. No one can actually live that out. And the good news is, is that this is why Jesus came. Because we live in a world that is broken. And we are broken people too. We have sin. And so therefore, we can't live out that perfect life. And Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that we could not to give us an example to follow, but also to deal with the burden of sin. You see, I spoke about early on creation and that perfect relationship that Jesus, that God desires, that openness where he can pour his love out into you and to, to speak life into you, right? That relationship was broken. And so when Jesus came, what he did was, he said, well, you've chosen to walk away from me. And when you walk away from God, the source of life, of um, creation, of all things good, the absence of life is, is death. There is no life without the source, right? And so the consequence of our sin, the consequence of what we've chosen is to be absent from God and is death. I know it's heavy, but Jesus was like, I can't hack that. I don't want you to have to go through that. And so he came, he took on our consequence, he died, but then he conquered death and he rose again. And what that means for us is he said, if you put your faith in me, if you trust in me, then death is defeated. Sin is defeated. You do not have to live in that anymore. There is freedom to be had. That's why Jesus came. And so, the kingdom is something we can be a part of. We need to follow with two feet in Jesus' example. That's my second, um, my second point today. First, we need to listen with two ears. We need to follow with two feet. What I mean by that is we don't, it's a really tough place to be when you have one foot in the kingdom, one foot following God, and one foot holding on to the patterns of this world and our old life. You're stuck in between. Because if, you're, stuck, if you're, you're wanting to do both, what happens is you get frustrated and you get upset and, it's, and it's, just, it's a hard place to be because the one foot that's facing towards Jesus and wanting to follow him will get frustrated with the fact that we keep holding on and keep falling into these things that we used to uh, of our old life, the things that hold us down, right? But the one that wants to go the way of the world will look at the, um, the one that's facing Jesus and be like, oh man, I just... It's stifling or whatever it is. You get frustrated. Better to be hot or cold than lukewarm in the middle. And I would encourage you to be on fire for God. Two feet in, wholehearted, because like I said, there's freedom in that. You see, in Jesus, he says that you have worth, that your life has meaning, that you were created the way you are because God knitted you together intentionally. And we don't have to strive to find meaning. God says, I give you meaning. Your life has purpose. That's freeing. See, when we live, you know, um, separate from God, we have to find meaning somehow, whether that's in the things we do, the job we have, the things we own, the relationships that we are involved in. We have to strive to maintain those things. We have to keep going. Otherwise, we lose our purpose. We lose our value. All these sorts of things can be taken away. I don't know about you, but that sounds like hard work. 
And I know me and Charlotte, we don't like hard work. That's hard to do, right? <laughs> oh, she's not in at the moment. Whereas when there's Jesus, there's freedom. We can live a life of freedom in Jesus. Two feet, follow with two feet. As we move on in the chapter, we move on to Mark 4 and 5. And there's two stories that we see of Jesus. One where Jesus calms the stormy sea. His disciples and him are in a boat. There's, you know, um, storm all around him and the disciples are freaking out. And Jesus says, that's enough. Take a chill pill and the water calms, right? The second one is when Jesus casts out a demon, or actually multiple demons, out of one man. named uh, The demon was named Legion. And he casts this demon out. And these two stories have a common emphasis. This is why it's been added into this section of the story. And it is that Jesus has divine power over the forces of chaos, right? The story of the demonic demonstrates Jesus' um, decisive control over Satan's minions. They do not have any power or authority over Jesus. He has ultimate power and authority over them. They recognize him as the son of God and they must answer to him. Now, the story of the stormy sea opens up even more interesting territory. You see, in the Jewish worldview, the stormy sea harkens back to the floodwaters of Noah's day, of that chaos. And it also goes back to the creation account, the chaotic waters of creation. You might be thinking, what chaotic waters? Was there chaotic waters when... Well, let me read it to you. In the very first two verses of the Bible, this is what it says in Genesis 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and the um, darkness covered the deep waters, or chaotic waters, depending on which um, uh, version you read. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. So it begins with these, this, this sort of chaos, was their understanding. And out of that chaos, God creates order. He creates land. He creates the seas, night, day, the earth. Uh, yeah, I already said that. Um, all of the vegetation, the animals, and he created humanity out of that. He brought order into it. And so the storm and the squalls spoke of that chaos again. That's what the, the Jewish people were hearing. But the story is more than about Jesus mastering the storm and the chaos. In a subtle way, Mark, who, who wrote this part of the, the, um, the New Testament, Mark is showing us that Jesus is the great creator of all things. God himself. It's God come in flesh. Mark is clearly encouraging the reader to answer the questions that the disciples asked after the calming of the sea. The question is, in Mark 4, 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. They asked, who is this man? And even the winds and the waves obey him. That's the question that they're prompting you to ask. And for anyone familiar with the Old Testament, they would, the answer would unequivocally be the God of Israel, who demonstrates his might by mastering the wind and the waves. This is what we're supposed to be asking. Who is this man? He is no ordinary man. He is God. God himself come in flesh. And so, as we continue to ask, who is this man? Well, if he's this creator God, if he is actually God himself in flesh, 
then that must mean that he is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for, who is to come and to reign as king of our lives. And so what sort of, like, we have an idea what this king should look like. What should, he should be a warrior or something like that. They had this idea of what Jesus should be like. And so he spent most of his time, you know, answering this question of what kind of king he would be in his actions and in his deeds. And so the last part of the chapter we read about is in Matthew 9 and Mark 5 and 6. And in this, they show a heap of encounters that Jesus has, but they also show um, a different sort of king as well. So we see two kings in action. One wears a crown and purple robes, and he takes what he wants by force, rubs elbows with the emperor, and this king was Herod Antipas. And he was a notorious ruler who had an affair with his brother's wife, and he arrested and executed John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus and was preparing the way for him. Without a doubt, Herod believed he was somebody important and wielded his power to prove it. But another sort of king is also highlighted in these passages. That's Jesus. He does not have a place to lay his head. Jesus did not come and then live in a massive palace or even a stately home to prove his power and authority. Instead, he survived on the generosity of others and he makes his place with the lowly, the outcast, the downtrodden, those who were cast aside by society. Jesus went and stood beside them and with them. For Jesus... And this is important for Jesus. Power is compassion extended to bring healing to others. The power and authority that he exerts is compassion extended to bring healing to others. That's how he showed his authority. And that's a very different sort of king to what they were expecting. And maybe even the sorts of kings that we can look at throughout history. Jesus is no ordinary man. He's also no ordinary king. You see, for Jesus, the healings that we saw were things such as the healing the blind man, the bleeding woman, he healed her, and raising the dead little girl to life. Jesus was a very different sort of king. You see, where Jesus is, there is healing, there is restoration. And so my final point this morning is we need to cling to the king with two hands. Because he is a king worth following. He is someone worth being the Lord of our life because where Jesus is, he brings restoration and healing. Maybe you have some broken relationships in your life, be it a brother, sister, family, and you need him to come in and bring restoration there. Maybe it's a co-worker or spouse And there needs to be some healing. Jesus, if you allow him to be Lord of your life, he will bring restoration in that. Even if the other person doesn't reciprocate the idea of reconciliation, God will bring healing to your heart. Healing. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe there's something that's been ailing you for a while that just keeps coming up. Maybe there's a a, a diagnosis that you've had that, that you're fearful of what that means for the future. You're not sure. Jesus has the power and authority to bring healing into your life. 
And we should be praying bold prayers about healing because we know and believe that God can heal. In fact, Mark shared some of those stories, was it last week or the week before? Either way, of, of three people that we prayed for and they saw physical healing. But here's the thing, even if you don't find healing in this life, you will be healed in the next, in the resurrection. Jesus always brings healing. Finally, and most importantly, Jesus brings healing into that broken relationship between us and God. We can't do it in our own strength. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. So to earn our way into the kingdom of heaven is far beyond anything we can do. And so Jesus comes and he provides that healing. So we need to cling to the king with two hands. Church, quick summary. We need to listen with two ears, with the intent to hear God and to hear his message for what it is. His message is simple, but if we listen, we'll see the depth and richness of that message too. We need to follow with two feet, you know, not just one in and one out because we're going to be frustrated. Follow wholeheartedly, follow Christ's example, trusting and knowing that he has dealt with the rest. And lastly, we should cling to the king with two hands because he is someone worth following and he brings value and meaning to your life. Let's pray, church, as the worship team comes up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you that you came and you provided a way for reconciliation for us. God, I just, I'm reminded of the great sacrifice that you, that you made for us willingly. And so, God, I just pray that, that we would not take that lightly this morning and that we would be encouraged to read your word and to receive what you would be speaking into our hearts and into our lives because that brings transformation. God, I pray that you would help us to live a life that honors the great sacrifice that you made. Lord, we know that our salvation is, is done. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves worthy, but God, you did it. And we're thankful and grateful. And so this morning, God, I just pray if there's, if there's someone here who is hearing this message and is going, wow, that king sounds pretty amazing. Lord, I pray, I pray for them. Lord, I pray that their heart would be open to understand that you just want to shower your love and your mercy upon them and transform their life for good. Lord, that they don't have to strive anymore to find significance or purpose or meaning. That God, you say they are loved and they were fearfully and wonderfully made and that you desire to walk close to them. Lord, if they would just receive that gift. God, I pray for your anointing upon this place as we worship you, as we glorify your name and your precious name. Amen. Amen.